Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So, I'm on the far end of the blind. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I love this story. And he pops up, and it was the loudest sound that was also a quiet sound that I've ever heard. And it was click. (laughs) and i knew exactly what it was (laughs) and i didn't hesitate one second as soon as i heard that click i saw that bird and i was like i'm shooting it oh you got her dude she's down let's go dude i just shot a deer of a lifetime freaking smoked him one with nature and if you're a believer one with god Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. Ball Obsession Podcast. All right, welcome to another edition of the Fall Obsession Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Twerdick. I'm here with Andy Meeks and Todd Sellen. Uh, we're here in Minnesota. We just had a uh, pheasant hunt. Todd's in town visiting from Michigan. Um, came out to check out Minnesota, do a little bit of pheasant hunting here and just kind of check out what we do up here. So continue the fall obsession world tour we're on here. Exactly. (laughs) Texas in, uh, in December and Minnesota now and Missouri in a couple of weeks and shoot. Yeah. You'll have about 50 States done by next summer. (laughs) (laughs) Get out to, uh, Hawaii to get those access to your, invasive. (laughs) Yep. So. Like I'd mentioned, Todd was in town. We did a little bit of pheasant hunting today. Um, we were up at the local game farm. Uh, the wild bird season is closed for the year. Uh, so had a chance to get out and do a little bit of hunting. Um, ran both of the dogs. Andy's got a young puppy that it was her first time out pheasant hunting. Yep, so that was nice to see. And she did a, as well as I expected. And yeah, so I wasn't, uh, wasn't trying to push it too hard. So I just wanted her to kind of watch the other dogs and learn from Learned some stuff, so yeah, that was good. Um, so, Todd, what did you think of your first time? Um, so, this is funny because Andy and I were having this conversation last night. He asked me if I've always been a bird hunter, 
And I said, no, I haven't always been a bird hunter. <laughs> you know, my bird hunting actually started, you know, I've always wanted to go turkey hunting um, because that's what's most popular in Michigan. And um, with quarantine, with COVID a couple of years ago, I'm so busy in the springtime with baseball that because baseball was shut down during that time, I was able to go out turkey hunting for the first time. And uh, I was able to actually harvest my first turkey. And from that point, uh, Heather, moving moving forward a little bit, Heather got me um, uh, a, 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 what do you call it, a pheasant hunt for my birthday. And that kind of sparked us into, let's get a dog, let's start exploring bird hunting a little bit more. You know, before that, we're exclusively deer hunting. And then I did antelope hunting, I did bear hunting, and I did some of the others, but not as much as deer hunting, obviously. And so... Uh, my first real trip out of state was the snow goose hunt last year. And that, I think, really, um, you know, I really got the bug for bird hunting at that time. Yep. Just because of, you know, the things that we had talked about, the adrenaline rush that you get over and over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, from there was a crane hunt. And so um, today, you know, like it's my first time in Minnesota for sure, pheasant hunting. Um, and, you know, I just love it. I love being out here with you guys. I love being um, being active. I love getting outside when it's sunny, um, you know, and just getting some exercises during, during this, this time of year when we're kind of on a down, you know, down season or downtime and just staying active in the outdoors. So, yeah. So as Todd mentioned, it was pretty nice today. Uh, here in Minnesota, we've had kind of a mixed, mixed winter where it's been either really cold, snowing heavily or 40. Yeah. Or 40. <laughs> and today happened to be one of those days where it was nice and warm, I think mid thirties and mm-hmm. sun was out. A little bit of a breeze, but nothing bad. Not bad, not bad. And then next week, they're talking we're supposed to get over a foot of snow again. A foot of snow and drop down a single digit, so it'd be nice and fun. So can't wait. Yep. Yep. So, Todd, you mentioned the snow goose hunt. Um, and for our listeners, um, I guess by the time this podcast airs, uh, it'll actually be the week that we're out on our hunt out yeah. there in Michigan, right? Or no? No, it's in Missouri. Missouri, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Mound City. Um, um, Mound City, Missouri with Squaw Creek Outfitters. Uh, yep. Squaw Creek Hunt Club, actually. Um, we went last year. We had no expectations last year. We went in. Actually, it was uh, the second time I met Andy. Yep. You know, I had, I had met him prior to that at uh, Tim Burgess at his pheasant, pheasant hunts. First time we met Tyler. First time we met Delaney. And that's where we really developed our connection, you know, of we met each other. Yeah. Like I said, Andy and I had met each other. But Tyler and Delaney, we talked via social media, via <laughs> text, via email, but we never met each other in person, and that's 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 where that started. And so um, uh, we get to we get to relive that again. We had no expectation last year, uh-huh. and ended up with uh, a lot of fun, a lot of camaraderie, and a lot of birds. And so it exceeded all expectations. So we we're able to put together again uh, this year. We have Michael T P coming with us as well, and we're trying to get Drew out there with us. So <laughs> we're yep. dragging him with. We're dragging him Try, with. Trying to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and. What we're hunting out of pit blinds, pit right? Pit blinds, yep, yep. So last year we we hunted one day out of a pit blind. So if you guys don't know what a pit blind, a pit blind is, uh, it's a big hole in the ground, really. And you gotta go down some stairs and you sit on a bench and uh, you're about I don't know what five foot five foot under in the ground. I'd say close to that, yeah, yeah about, that. about four five foot, feet. four foot, yeah. And we have couple thousand decoys around us we have e-collar collars going on and so the goose sound rings in your head for months afterwards uh but you're sleep yeah Yeah. plenty of room in the in the pit blind and as they come in you know as they volley in 
you jump up. We have usually have a caller. Andy was our caller last year. Uh, pop up and you, you, you take a shot at him. The other blind that we were in was an A-frame blind, which was set up right on the edge of a pond. Which was really awesome. It, yeah. And again, it was just a bench with a couple pieces of plywood that, that created an A, a type of, and then they brushed it in with, uh, I don't know, different types of grass and camo and stuff like that. Yep. So, yep. so. So was the, the pit on water too, or was that just in a field? So the pit was in a cornfield that they they flood for duck season. So yeah. when we went out there, it was it was pretty muddy. It was it was muddy, but it's springtime. Yeah, things yeah. were thawing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were, you know, it was it was greasy. You know how yeah, those typical <laughs> snow goose hunt. Typical yeah. snow goose hunt. <laughs> <laughs> For so, sure. So, but the second day in the A frame, we were just like I said on, on dry dry uh, dry land on the edge of a pond, and they would come into the pond, and we took a couple shots with them landing in the pond. I think yep. right. Yep. Yep. And you know. Based on the reports that you're hearing right now, kind of wherever you look or who you talk to, I've heard anywhere from 750,000 birds up to an estimated 2 million birds mm-hmm. in that uh, Mound City area. So, so the migration is definitely happening. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. They called me, uh, Joe and, and, and Scott from Squaw Creek called me back in January just to confirm that we're, we're set up to go, go out there in March. And uh, one of the things I say, hey, what are you guys doing right now? They're like, oh, we're out setting spreads already. Oh. In January, so they're setting their decoys up already and getting getting their blinds set up. So, well, when you have thousands and thousands of decoys, it's better to get started earlier. Yeah, than, it's earlier than later, <laughs> for sure. That was one thing we had talked about because that was our concern last year. Remember, you asked me, "Are we going to have to set the decoys, decoys up set, ourselves?" I'm like, "Oh my god!" And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> done that <laughs> too many times. <laughs> So we got a hold of Joe, Joe, uh, the the guide. He's like, no, we said we do all that stuff for you. All you got to do is just show up. We'll take you out there, and you're good to go. And so after we realized how many decoys were out there, we're like, oh, my goodness. We would have had to get out here at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning and get everything set up in time. But Been there, done that, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is a guy. I even bought 200 more decoys this year, so I'm really screwed away. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, last year when you guys hunted, uh, what part of the migration were you guys in? Was it early on where you getting a lot of adults or were you guys a little bit later in where you were getting some juvies mixed in or, you know, I, I'd, I'd say we're probably, well, it was eh, probably halfway. So there was, there was definitely uh, geese north of us and you know, the, uh, the front line was definitely past us, but we were dealing with adults and, uh, but we did, you know, we did see a bunch of juvies too. We did, I think most of our bag was juvies. Most and, of our bags were. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you know, we were down there with that, uh, you know, when the first um, the flu came, the bird flu. Bird flu. Yeah. Yep. So we were starting to see some birds do some weird things, <laughs> like fly in circles with their head down. It was kind of weird. Yeah. A yeah different. Really weird. So <laughs> that's not typical. No. <laughs> After we shot at him twelve times, he still kept flying. He kept right, kept on coming. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so yeah, it, uh, yeah, we're all excited. It's always a fun time. It's always uh, it breaks the spring up. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Yep. And so I guess for the listeners that might not have snow goose hunted or don't know what we're talking about. The the juvenile birds are the ones that were born this year. Yep. Um, typically the adult birds have seen that trick before. They've seen decoy spreads up and down the migration both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get educated. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, those first year birds, those not, are the ones that decoy really well, especially decoy. when the wind is up oh, or yes. you've got low visibility from fog or <sighs> early in the morning. Yep. That's that, that's what makes this, uh, um, um, so goose hunting so much fun in those birds. They, they keep they keep you coming back. <laughs> yep. So it's Andy and I had this conversation earlier today. We were talking about adults versus juvies, and last year we were, we had quite a few juvies, and 
the message we got today were that the adults are in. So I asked Andy about, you know, um, how is it different than juvies? He's like, they're much smarter. The adults are smarter. So um, Tala Piper, listening at home, mom and dad were the adults, were smarter than you. So pay attention <laughs> to what, what we say. But um, uh, just like they said, they've seen the tricks. Just like any animal, you think about it, white tail hunting, um, the older, more mature deer are the ones that you have – um, that are that are the hardest to harvest because they know all the tricks. They know the patterns. They know when something's not quite right. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. And to touch on what Drew said, you know, some of these birds lived uh, 15 to 16 years old, and you know, two times a year going up and down the coast. You know, they see everything. They, I mean, it's, yeah. I think they've even recorded some bands that are you know mid mid twenties. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, uh. those birds have seen it. Multiply it by two, and then. <laughs> Every state in between and all the way up into Canada and even into Alaska. Seriously, yes. Those birds have seen it a few times. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, what, well, let's, let's go back to the reasons why we hunt the snow geese and why they have a conservation hunt. Remember, we talked, touched on that a little bit last year. Yep. Uh, well, this is, uh, well, this bird flu that is, uh, upon us is kind of what scared me. You know, that's why we do this to, to eliminate the, you know, bring the population down a little bit because of when Mother Nature, gets a hold of them it's gonna weigh a lot more out than what we can do you know mm -hmm. that's why we're that's why the conservation order is in place to help control these birds population we're, we're not just out there to you know shoot them yeah. but you know we're trying to help this you know, keep the sport growing and you know keep it maintained and you know with this bird flu like this it could get ugly i mean if they could get any worse i mean they could take out thousands and Hundreds of thousands, though. So. Well, even last year they had piles of thousands yeah. out there. They were mm -hmm. just from the from the bird flu. And you hear it yeah. up and you hear it up and down the flyway. Everybody's seen sick birds and stuff like that, and especially when they go up in a breeding season, when they're all close like that, and stuff can, you know, bugs can get everywhere, you know. And then on top of that, the ecosystem. There's so many. There's so many that if you look at uh, what they're doing to Canada's ecosystem up they're there, destroying they're it. destroying it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I had somebody. Uh, recently asked me why why I use a semi-automatic shotgun when I'm hunting geese, for example. And I don't want to get, you know, into politics or anything because I know that's a hot topic right now. But simply because of this, uh, if you think about it, if you get a pump, you may only get two shots off in a volley versus which means you may only, may only put one bird on the ground. Again, the more birds you put on the ground – the more it's going to help save our ecosystem, the more it's going to help help them out, help them out, you know, and, and not, you know, just with the numbers and not, you know, get, uh, you know, get that bird flu. And, yep. and so, yeah. So speaking of the bird flu, I actually had the opportunity this past week to sit in on a call. Well, it was more of a call. It was like a webinar hosted by the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Um, with a few scientists on it. And it was really interesting to hear them talk about, their studies that they've been doing. Um, so they've been doing studies in all of the different flyways here in Minnesota, whether it was, you know, the St. Croix River Valley, the Mississippi River Valley, um, even out west. I don't know if they technically call it the Red River Valley, right. but that's that's where it is yep. along that, you know, lack of parl area. Yep. Um, and hearing what they have to say on the bird flu is very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, according to those scientists, we're on the downward trend. We're towards the tail end of it it doesn't mean it can't you know rebound like right. it has in the past right. but uh it was actually really interesting they were seeing it a lot more in mallards than in any other other species of duck um probably because we don't get the snow goose numbers here in minnesota that they do you know in south dakota right. or iowa or right. somewhere else where they're really going to be seeing those numbers mm -hmm. um 
So it, it, it jumped species. It went from snow goose to... Yeah, it's in all it's in all of the waterfowl. Um, really? Yeah, and we're actually seeing it in our domestic turkey population as well, oh, and wow. even mm. chicken backyard chicken population. Well, backyard chicken. Yeah, I heard, yeah, I heard yeah, the chickens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the chickens mm-hmm. were getting it too. Yeah. They did a thing in the news back in Michigan this week. It was exactly that that the bird flu um, originated. That that's the story they're telling originated from from farm chickens, and then it spread. Oh, really? Yeah. Then it spread to other species. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, just just interesting to hear. I know it's something oh, we've been battling yeah. for what two year, over two years yep. now for this round, but it's it's come and gone over the past decade it several has. times, yep. and mm-hmm. you know, just to hear that it's potentially on the downward swing, and it's something that maybe is clearing up is good news. Oh, very good news. Yeah, we don't want yeah we don't want to see sick birds out there. You know, obviously we're we're, we're hunters, but we're also conservationists too, and we like to see mm-hmm. good plentiful. Which now puts that emphasis back on conservation piece in terms of we got to make sure we manage that herd with our hunting practices you know what i mean because if 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 the bird flu goes away what's going to happen to the population even now it's going to explode even more than it already has and what's going to happen to the ecosystem in canada and you know what i mean it's there's they're overpopulated that's that's why we have this conservation hunt so yeah and so you know talking equipment then um i mean we were somewhere today where they had magazine tube extensions yeah. for sale yeah. um i know personally when i've hunted in the past i've always ran i don't even know if it's a plus eight or yeah plus eight 13 rounds total so it's you know a magazine tube extension out to and even potentially beyond the yeah, end of the barrel yep, yep. and you know filling it up with three inch shells three inch steel and mm-hmm. letting them have it yeah you get the flock in nice and close hopefully let them land and then you know start shooting mm-hmm. and by the time they get out it's amazing how many birds you know if everybody in the in the blind has 13 shots oh, yeah. how many you can drop in a volley yep. yeah for sure for sure yeah and that's, that's exactly what i was gonna say think about it there are times where you get hundreds of birds in in a volley and if you only have let's say you have a plug in your gun you get three shots that's yep. it that's it you yep. know what i mean and in my regular i have a stroger a stroger 3000 so i can i can put four four in the chamber and one in the barrel and so i get five shots and and even that, I'm not the greatest shot, but I'm hoping to get at least you know two birds out of that. Right. And so, um, the more shots you have, the better that you're helping the herd out. So. Yep. Well, I, mean, I, I run a plus six. I, I can put uh, I'll put eleven in mine. So, but you know, you have to understand that when you put all that weight in there too. So you you have to kind of train for this. So if you do put an extension on it, you know, load it up at home. You know, raise it up like you're gonna shoot because when you get in the blind. You have all that weight in there. It throws your shot off, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, and and the other thing, too, is people put these mag tube extensions on and then don't think about the fowler or yep. follower. Yep. That's there, in, you uh, there you go. Yeah, that's in the in the magazine tube extension. And, you know, with this big magazine tube extension on top of where your normal one is, you get a seam inside of that barrel or inside of that tube. Mm-hmm. And if you don't upgrade that, potentially I, I mean i've had it happen to me in the past where you shoot five shots off and all of a sudden your gun jams because it doesn't have the pressure to put the next exactly. round in yep. and so that's you know it's an inexpensive part in compared to the magazine tube extension but definitely something that if you're going to go with a mag tube extension you should consider adding to your yeah to your equipment 100 percent agreed yes what was the drum thing that the guy was talking about today i kind of cut bits and pieces of it but in my mind i'm thinking oh this is like 1920s mafia stuff with the <laughs> well yeah no, he, he was he was you know like the chicago typewriter yeah so, you know yeah the timing gun so yeah. oh yeah put the put the what is it the cylinder on the bottom right oh it's 
it's a version of a 12 gauge and similar to an like an ar style or oh, the uh okay. like right. the um i wish i could remember the name of it right now but it's got that it's got a a, a magazine tube that's four tubes and so oh. it can come out of the bottom of the gun and then when you run out you can pull the entire four tube assembly out and replace it really yeah yeah so <laughs> so, so how many rounds is that hole you know i think it's five times four plus the one in the chamber so i think you're looking at 21 yeah. but i could be wrong on that I, I don't know. And, and then the other option that i've seen people run and you know it's really heavy on the forend is the x-rail mm-hmm. and that's very similar so you're running all of your rounds are out by the end of your barrel yeah and it's circular and it spins automatically so as you're running out it's automatically spinning and loading and that one i think is up near 20 rounds as well oh yeah he has to be yeah and to watch somebody (laughs) mag dump that is oh i can mean oh imagine it's pretty interesting we saw it on youtube we saw that yeah yeah Yeah. i've never seen anybody hunt with one but yeah i i would love to see somebody hunt with one at the same time (laughs) i just want to see if you can do it yeah yeah (laughs) So going into this goose hunt, what are your expectations? You know, like I said, we had none last year. Now we have a little more experience. Obviously, um, I have a little more experience. You're you're pretty experienced. You Drew, know, Drew's pretty experienced. I, what I, are your expectations this year? I, hunting snow geese, you can't have that high of expectations because they are such a worry bird. You know, they you never know what you you could you could shoot twenty of them a day or you could shoot two a day. You know, you just don't know. So when you say expectations on this hunt, I like to go, especially into snow goose hunting with the least amount of expectations, you know, just, mm-hmm. I want to have fun. Mm-hmm. We're out there to, you know, entertain ourselves and, yep. and shoot geese. And that's what it is. And, um, it, it is what it is at right. this, you know, so I'm not, uh, I don't really have high, I don't want, I don't want a hundred. I mean, if we shoot a hundred, that's great. I mean, it'd be awesome, but you know, just to get out there and enjoy your time and, do what we love to do, hunt, you know, stuff like that. So, so maybe not expectation. What are your goals? Um, obviously, you said come I, out and have but, fun, right? So. Exactly. I mean, it, it kind of you know it goes along the same thing as expectations. And my goals are just you know just carefree, you know, just like you know mm-hmm. we'll go out there and we'll do what we got to do and see what we got to see and whatever happens next happens next. So, I just, yeah. You know, for me personally, I think it's watching the birds decoy. Right, I've been on hunts where. We've shot 142 in a day, mm-hmm. 147, you know, upwards of almost 150 sometimes, you yep. know, and those days are fun, but you and I were on a hunt one year where I think we shot 13 yep. maybe, and that is one of the most memorable hunts I've ever been on. Mine too, yes. And it was because we had set up in this field and the day before this field was loaded, uh, probably two, 3,000 birds in this field on a feed, and so we went through and set a ton of decoys a bunch of full bodies Mm -hmm. bunch of flags a bunch of texas rags and in the morning they were gone Mm. and we had one flock of juvies but they were roosted literally on the other side of the highway (laughs) behind some trees and you could hear them get up and you saw them clear the trees and they cleared right at treetop level Uh and they didn't think twice about it they were in that field it was like we just watched them come in on a rope and I mean, snow geese, anybody who's hunted them will tell you, like, they're frustrating. Yeah. Very yeah. frustrating. And this day, 
these birds, probably a flock of juvies, but <laughs> probably, yes, yes. they wanted it. And I don't know if any of them got out. I think we rained out the entire flock yep. and it was, it was, it was awesome. amazing. It was beautiful. It was, the, yeah, we were all, we were sitting there all hooting and hollering after that. It was, yeah, it was one of the best, best shoots I've ever had with, it was with Drew. Yeah. hundred percent. And I've been doing this for eight years and you've been doing it for just as long. Yep. So, I mean, we've, we've seen. We've seen lots of snow geese in the air. <laughs> yeah. I think migration days are the worst where you uh, sit and you see them and you see them all day long, but they're up they and come high up. and yeah. you'll never see them. And you see flock after flock wow. after flock and it's all day long and nothing will decoy. Nothing. And we had that a little bit last yeah, year exactly. a bit yeah. in the morning in particular. We had a couple come in and a couple of people forgot to put bullets in their guns. <laughs> oh, we got to make close. <laughs> Not naming any names, huh? No. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, you want to shoot that? Yeah. yeah. Click. Click. Mm. Yeah, I just still don't. I don't live that down. Heather lets me know as much as she can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, God. That was funny. You know, that happens. That's that, that neck collar up there. Uh, I know. <laughs> I, we were in a pit blind hunting up in Fergus. Um, so northern mid-Minnesota. Okay. And we were with a guide and, you know, somehow my buddy saw this collar <laughs> in the air flying and was like, I swear there's a neck collar in this flock of birds. And so, you know, they were decoying and decoying and they landed mm-hmm. and kind of had the conversation. All right, who's going to shoot it? Right. And, you know, decided to let the guide who has been on a ton of hunts and, you know, puts in the work and does all the scouting for everybody all right, guide, because we're not going to name names, right, right. Yeah. you get to shoot this, right? So I'm on the far end of the blind. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love this story. And he pops up, and it was the loudest sound that was also a quiet sound that I've ever heard, and it was click. <laughs> and I knew exactly what it was. <laughs> and, and I didn't hesitate one second. As soon as I heard that click, I saw that bird, and I was like, I'm yep. shooting it. Shot it and <laughs> folded it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's that's the story of that, and that's why you know to this day I'm a little bit OCD, and you'll see me in the blind like just checking to make sure there's always, something. Always checking yeah. the chamber, yep. just making sure you know what kind of last thing that happens is the birds are decoying, making sure I'm ready to shoot. Right. I, I almost did that today for everybody. I only had one shell in the gun. And I went to go pull it again and went, oh, oh. man. <laughs> Easy to forget, especially if you got, like I said, a semi-auto or something quick. I would say sh- single shot. So, you know, when I when I go back, I had to borrow a friend's gun when I shot that turkey because I only had a single shot, and I thought I needed something a little bit, you know, because I figured if I had a single shot, I'd shoot one. Turkey's gone. I'm not going to get a second shot. So I borrowed a buddy's gun that was a pump. It was a 12-gauge, I think, Remington pump. And ended up putting a turkey down with the first shot. So, but um, after that, that's when I bought my Stroger. And so, because I, I realized very quickly that, uh, you know, you have to have more than one shot. But we would go on preserves before or right around that time, too. And I'd have single shots. And so we'd go out and shoot chuckers and pheasants with a single shot, 20 gauge at oh, that yeah. time. Huh? <laughs> so, but um, my goals for this are Heather is so, had so much fun last year. And that was her first time hunting out of state. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed just seeing her, and I was so so happy and so proud of how, how she did. And she is looking forward to this. I mean, this is what she's looked forward to since we left last year. 
And she keeps saying to me, I hope the weather holds off. I hope the weather holds off because with our luck, the birds are going to migrate back down south and we're going to have to cancel. And so um, my goals are just to get her back out there and, and get around some birds and, and hope, you know, hopefully the weather does hold off. Um, reports today sound like it's going to, but you never know. It's not, you, you can't report something that far out, but, or you no. can't predict it something that no, far no. out. And, yeah, especially the spring season. I mean, you, you never know when the storm, I mean, you can look in, you know, weeks out and see when the storm rolls through it. Mm-hmm. You never know what those birds are going to do. They could hold tight. They could push north and get above the storm or push south, go back south and get blow the storm. Yeah, they you never know. Just never know. And they can cover so much ground in one day. They can be, it's you could be loaded in snow geese one day and that little weather change, it could be the smallest weather change and the next day there's not a bird in sight. For 10 miles, 15, 20 miles. I mean, even that, even more that, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's you, those, yeah. Their, their main goal right now is to get north. You know, the, the adults are, the juvies, obviously, they're kind of, they take their time because they're not breeding. And I think, well, I think a snow goose breeds at two or three or something like that. So, you know, they have a couple of years that they're, you know, just do to do it around, you know, so. Right, right. And then to see what, you know, hang out with Michael. We've never hung out yeah, with Michael. Yeah, exactly. We haven't hung out with Michael in camp, so. To get him out there, we've, we've been with Drew before, so when we get Drew down there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and so Drew and Drew and Tyler are going to pretty much fill the field just between those two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, and I, we talked to Tyler in Texas, and he's he's excited for this, too. He, yeah, you know, very much yeah. so. And, you, know, you know, obviously we love bow hunting and deer hunting and stuff like that. That's kind of what, you know, what we all got together for. But, you know, it's nice to have, you know, Go shoot some birds here and there, you know, like that. And mm-hmm. like I said, break up the spring because, yeah. you know, deer season's way too short. <laughs> way too short. There's such a huge gap between the end of deer season and turkey season. Right. You got to find something. Yeah. Got to find something. Exactly. Way too short. It's Mid-September through the end of January <laughs> or beginning of January. That's It's too short, Drew. So <laughs> <laughs> you start hunting almost every day. <laughs> but yes, too short. Yeah. Too short. <laughs> No, yeah, and, uh, it, it is you know especially with the bow, like you said, uh, it doesn't you know you can hunt, start hunting them in September with the bow, and then by then January you're hunting with the muzzle loader. So I mean, yeah, we do have quite a long season, but it gets cold up here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it does, and that's one thing that I really enjoyed this year was we finally have all those box blinds up at the farm. And oh yes. Not only do we have the box blinds, but you know. Started carrying my heater with me, so I sit out there with the body heater and a fan. And uh, I, I hear you, man. I, I we're, we're getting there. <laughs> and there was a couple of days where it was, you know, ten, twenty below, or ten to fifteen below. I guess during the season, I think is how cold it got. And you were sitting there in a t-shirt. I was sitting there in a sweatshirt, and <laughs> warm as could be. And you know, a little bit of condensation on the windows. That's okay. But yeah. I started bringing a little battery powered fan and. Next thing you know, it's <laughs> yeah. so just swim trunks and yeah. so when uh, we were on the way down to Texas, we stopped at Tyler's Tyler Wolf's house. Yep, in KCK, and uh, I got the opportunity to go out to his property and sit for an evening over his um, on his property. And he has one of those redneck blinds. Boy, are those nice! I could not believe it. I'm just like, wow, this is kind of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've looked at those. The other ones that I really like are those the muddy, yeah, mm-hmm. the muddy tower blinds. Um, I don't remember their exact name for them, but man, some of those nicer box blinds. You know, even yeah. even the guys that you know make the feeders that we're sponsored by, they have got some blinds that they make that are 
pretty nice too as long as you're getting into those insulated and closed blinds yes, get out yeah. of the wind and be able to contain that heat that's pretty nice and I, I just loved how the, everything was quiet the windows were quiet you know the door was quiet and just like wow all this is that's what it's all about and being quiet and stuff like that so yeah. we've got a couple on our property that we well i showed you pic- the picture of our original uh-huh. uh, so heather and i were out there on friday just walking around the property and looking at some of the things that we need to upgrade or repair and uh, my very first blind I built, we call the outhouse blind, because I had a bunch of just wood laying around. So we just kind of I slapped it together and, and, and built it looked like an outhouse with windows in it, or a, 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 like a porta potty with windows in it. And so, um, <laughs> funny thing is, I built it up at our house, and then we had to get it to the back part of our property, and I didn't think about that while I was building it. <laughs> So we had to end up borrowing a trailer and we pulled it to the back part of the property with the farm tractor and we just dumped it right where we could. And it wasn't exactly in the spot, but it actually uh, ended up working out. But, um, you know, in, in looking from from that point on till now, just with uh, with succession and everything, how much has grown up around, we're like, man, we got to get out here and start working this. But um, beyond that, we built uh, one that we call a Death Star just because it's huge. It's it's a six by eight, and we can put a couch in there, a TV, refrigerator. It's just huge. Um, and uh, we put a little more work and a little more detail into that, but it's it's been there for a few years now. we got to start replacing the roof, for example. Uh-huh. Got a big hole in the roof, and then uh, the door has fallen off, so we got to replace the oh, door. No. So we oh. just got to... So we were out there taking pictures and getting measurements because we we're going to start uh, start working on those projects. But then I also have a shadow hunter on our property. So um, I went out and splurged and ended up buying a, a good one that I didn't have to put too much or any work into. Really, we just had to build the, the elevation stand and then get it up there. And and, uh, and so we do have the one that comfortable one. We're going to try to make the Death Star as comfortable. But, it, but, but in Michigan, honestly, you know, all the, all the, the days that we hunt from October until we're really – if you factor in early doe seasons the end of September to January 1st, um, we don't get a ton of days where you, you feel like you have to be inside because of the cold. Right. If you're inside, you're trying to get out of the, the, the wind or not, not even really the wind, but it's just the rain or, or the snow if it's snowing really hard, you know. Um, that's my big thing. I can sit out there in the wind. I can sit out there. If it is cold, not a big deal to me. But if I get wet. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's game over for, yeah, with anybody. I think anybody getting wet anywhere. So, yeah. where, where I could see up here in Minnesota, it'd be totally different because you guys are, are cool, colder than us more yeah. often. Yeah. So Today, for example, it's, uh, what, 46 I said at home. <laughs> and no, we don't have a single, we had no snow on the ground whatsoever. It's It's been a weird winter. You know, I was supposed to come up here around Christmas break. We had that blizzard. Um, when it started melting, by the end of the week, we had no more snow. So we had over 20 inches of, gra- of snow on the ground, all melted within a week. And then and then we went all of January with no snow. We didn't get a single. That's incredible. Yeah, I know. Oh. All of January, no snow on the ground. We averaged above. So our, our lowest temperature throughout January was probably 33. It was above freezing, you know, 33, 34 degrees, which at that time is the coldest part of the year. It should be below freezing, but we right. didn't have that this year. And then um, we had uh, had the snowstorm on on Thursday, but it was more of an ice event. So we haven't had a really bad winter. And uh, so that's been more common in Michigan in recent years. Yeah. Like Drew said, our our winter has been either freezing, freezing cold, or forty degrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's been one. all over the place. It's it's been a weird one. Yeah. yeah. So one thing we haven't touched on. Um, today was not the first time that we've hunted with Mason 
um, your son. Yep. But I would say one of the most fun times that that we've hunted with Mason. He's you know finally of that age where you don't have to keep an eye on him. You can trust him in the field. Yep. He knows what he's doing. He's just another member of the hunt. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's it's great. Um, that's how I wanted him to be. I raised him that way, I guess. You know, like that. You know, he he got his hunter safety certificate and he did all the property you know training and stuff like that. And obviously, I harp on him too. You know, a little bit. You know, is that safety on? Is that safety on? You know, I always make make sure he has it always in the back of his head. So I, you know, so but no, he's he's learning a lot and he loves it. That's the main thing is he wants to be out there with us. And I mean, I remember some of the first hunts when he was coming with and he's just carrying. <laughs> You know, not even a real gun, the, just the a little BB, BB gun. gun. <laughs> Dad, can I shoot it? Yes, yes. you can shoot it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, he's, 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 actually, he shot more ducks than I did last year. Yeah? He shot a, he, and a pintail in Minnesota. No way. Yes. I can't believe it. I couldn't believe it. The Be- kid, beginner's luck. I know. <laughs> Mason, that'll never happen again. Never. <laughs> I said, I told him, I said, I've been hunting for 20 some years and I haven't shot a pintail in Minnesota. You've got two years under your belt and you've got, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing was you have a new dog. Yeah. My new puppy. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. Full of energy. Oh. It, it was fun to watch her work, watch her follow Moose around. Yep. Right on his heels. Mm-hmm. Made some great retrieves. Yes. Yeah. She even beat Moose to a couple of them. I had I had to tell Moose. I said, Moose, she's a little bit faster than you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, he's he's almost eight. Oh, so he's easy that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then Todd, I know you've got mm-hmm. a new dog. Yeah, she's gonna be three years old on Saturday, the twenty fifth. Yeah. So February twenty fifth she was born. So she'll be three. Remy. So, Remy. She's a, a purebred visa, so we got her, like I said, after we went on our pheasant hunt that Heather got me for Christmas. I think that was actually just before uh, COVID, now that I think about it. So I went on that hunt before COVID, and then I shot that turkey and then everything. So we had we had Remy. We had ordered Remy just after that pheasant hunt because we had some friends on, on the other side of the state that that breed hunting dogs, breed bird dogs. And and uh, we're very familiar with them, and they had a had a litter that was uh, about to be born, and and so they asked us if we were interested. And absolutely, we're interested. Oh, yeah. and so we ended up with with Remy, our our Bichla, um, bird dog. So um, sweet girl, you guys have met her. Yep. You met you met Remy, didn't she come to the? Yeah, she no. came. She came. She came last year to the snow goose. Yeah, no. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I don't think I've met her. You haven't met her? No. No. Sweetheart. Sweetheart girl. She. So when we got her registered through the American Kennel Association, and and she took a natural ability test and scored. Uh, I don't. I can't remember exactly. They have a gold, silver, bronze. So she scored in the high silver division. So. Yeah. Oh, oh. Nice. Yeah. So we got a nice little plaque and we have her registered. And awesome. Super, super sweetheart. She's a pointer. She's full of energy all the time. And <laughs> so. Most pointers are. Um, most pointers are. <laughs> yeah. uh, this year, um, we didn't we didn't get her out on birds when we. I was telling the story earlier to these guys that um, in Michigan we don't have as many pheasants in the wild. We don't have uh, really many quails down by our area. We got to go all the way up in the UP. And Heather and I are busy in the fall. I officiate, and she she coaches um, cross country and and helps out with stuff like that. We're busy. We can't. We we have a hard time just packing up and going up to the UP in a weekend because it's it's quite a drive. You know, yeah. it's a three four hour drive, and then you know having to get home for work on Monday. But um, 
so we weren't able to get her. So we tried to find preserves around our area, and we uh, we we got one that we used, the one that our trainer that trained Remy always used when she lived in our area. Uh, we gave them a call, and they said, when, when do you guys want to come out? So Heather and I were looking at our calendars, called them right back, and by that time, they had already sold out of hunt, so we weren't able to get her out. So um, so one thing that we do is just get her outside and just keep training her. You just yep. make sure she's she's sharp when we can get her back out in the woods. Always, so. yep, that's, yep, that's uh, always what you do. You gotta, yep. keep, gotta yep. keep the dog sharp. Yep. <laughs> All right, now i got to hear more about this story that I've heard about a little bit in text messages. What's that? Tell us a story about these chuckers that kept getting loose. The the chuckers that kept getting loose, or the the pheasants. Oh, uh, I I thought I thought Heather Heather might have had some birds running loose in the garage and potentially in the house. Oh, and... those were oh yeah. So, <laughs> oh boy, like like the donkey in the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, yes, she's... there was a donkey in his house. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so she got quails. So she wanted to raise some quails That's and let them. Yeah. So we we're going to let them let them loose um, when they got mature enough. And then we we're going to use as a training tool for Remy around our property. We we uh, we live on 56 acre farm so we can spread them out throughout the property and we can we can work her with that. And so uh, she got them home. And, and of course, our girls are anytime you get an animal, you can't you can't raise them to butcher them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like a lot of people get cows, a lot of people get chickens, and as soon as we get an animal, it's a pet automatically. Doesn't matter. <laughs> we we've even talked about getting pigs for 4-H, and and so I talked to my oldest Tala, and she said, "Yeah, I want a pig." Uh, yeah, you know you have to sell it at four at at the fair. No, I'm not gonna sell it. So anyway, yeah, yeah no pig. <laughs> yeah, no pig. So these quails turned into their um, pets right away. So Tala and Pipey decided to bring them in the house, and they were mature enough to fly. <laughs> <laughs> They're mature enough to fly, <laughs> and so we had quails flying all around in our house, and had to had to catch them and put them back in their box and get them back in the garage. Oh, yep. that's awesome! Now, yep. how, how yep. many quails are flying around your house? There were twenty in the bunch. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah. Can you imagine that? <laughs> what did the dog think? Uh, dogs going nuts. Of all of our dogs, we got three dogs in the house. All of them are going nuts. It's just mass chaos. Anytime, anytime anything goes in the house, it's mass chaos. It was. Uh, that's you know we talk about what's a day in the life of a selling. It's yeah, not right. you know it's unpredictable. You don't know what's gonna happen. You know, or you try to have a plan in place and it never goes the way that we hope. So because something like that happens. So. Can you imagine if our dogs all the. It would just be chasing around, just jumping out off the walls. Oh, every, everything would be broken. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be on the counters. Oh, <laughs> uh, I gotta try that one time. <laughs> Letting quails go. Letting quails go in the house. I don't think I'll be living at that house if I do that. <laughs> yep. So I was just telling uh, Andy and, and Harper, your daughter. Yep. That we had, because they had a guinea pig out. And like, yeah, we have, um, we have, uh, you know, the three dogs in the house, and then we have a rabbit and a hedgehog, and that's all I knew we had in the house. Well, we had an incident around Halloween where we had some trespassers on our property that were doing not so good things. We ended up calling the police, and they ended up going through our house. And so I was walking with them as they were going through our house to make sure our house was safe and secure. Well, they opened up 
Tala, my oldest, her bedroom, and there's a rabbit and a chinchilla that I had no clue was even in the house. <laughs> so, She's like, sneaking uh, animals in through the window. <laughs> what the heck is this? I'm going through the house with a police officer, and all of a sudden we're finding new animals. <laughs> oh, jeez. Speaking of new animals in the house, tell us the story about the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> You guys were part of that text thread too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas from what's the donkey's name? Uh Glenn. Yeah, from that's what it was. From, yeah. from the girls in Glenn. And this was after this was after that pl- that police uh so the police thing happened around Halloween. Yep. And so the donkey in the house happened a month after that. So all I can imagine is oh my gosh, there's even more animals in the house. And so what the heck? And we had just uh we had just uh remodeled our living room with new floors too. So Heather brought the donkey in the house to do a Christmas picture with her and the kids on the donkey and thought it would be funny. And it was. I mean, I just, in my mind, I kept thinking oh, more surprises, more animals in the right. house. So, um, so yeah. So there's a donkey in her house. So. so I'm guessing Glenn didn't get to stay? Glenn did not get to stay. stay. <laughs> no, he didn't. I thought he was going to, and I was going to have to find a new place, but uh, I thought he was going to take over my bed and my everything else. But um, yeah, no, he didn't get to stay in, and I got my, I got my house back. And so. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yep. Oh, that's Sounds funny. like life's always an adventure. Always yeah. an adventure. <laughs> always an adventure. Yep. 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 That's for sure. So, hunting pheasants today. We first met the three of us at Tim's. Yep. And that was a. Uh, free range wild bird hunt. How would you, how would you, and especially you drew, because you guide at, at where at the preserve we're at today. Yep. How would you describe to somebody, a novice, somebody who has never done it? Um, what's the difference between hunting free birds versus on a preserve? Um, so I, I think we had a little bit of a taste of it today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a ton of snow cover here right now still. Um, so there is, you know, some snow co- or some cover for them to hide in, some corn standing, but it's not very thick, not very tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the birds that were there that have been around, that have been hunted a few times, mm-hmm. they know the drill. They hear you coming. They hear the dogs coming. Um, same thing with wild birds, right? Versus, you know, those game farm birds that are raised in a pen, don't have that experience of, you know, staying away from predators, staying away from people. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those game farm birds are put out anywhere from, you know, an hour to sometimes as little as 10 to 15 minutes right. before you hunt the field. Yep. And they are sometimes still a little, you know, a little overwhelmed, a little, I don't know what the term to use. They're, you know, they're still, they have their wits about them. They're still perfectly healthy, but... Right they're still getting acclimated to being outside of the pen for the first time mm-hmm. and being in the field. And, you know, a lot of times they don't really know what to do. And so their response is to just sit tight. Whereas a wild bird is going to take off running. And, you know, we had that experience today where mm-hmm. we'd see birds and be like, Oh, let's go try and flush those out. And they take off on us. Yeah. They knew enough yeah. to stay 60 to 80 yards ahead of yep. us the whole time running away and never got a chance. They never flew. They never anything. And, you know, I think hunting wild birds is a lot like that. Um, those birds, after the first week of the season, mm-hmm. have seen it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially their second year around, they've seen it. Yep. Um, they know what hunting is and they know, 
you know, even more specifically, even when there's not hunters, they know what coyotes are. They know what things chasing them are and they right, know how right. to stay away and stay alive. Alive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and so those wild birds just, they've got a lot more, a lot more fight, a lot more mm-hmm. will to live than a, a pen raised bird. They're more experienced. Yeah. Exactly. You talk about being acclimated. I mean, we saw that today. Like you said, there were some that, you know, we got up right up on and were able to flush. And, and there are others, like you said, that would take off just because they weren't the birds that were that were put out there a short time ago. They'd probably been out there for a while, yep. right? And so they were able to adjust and get acclimated to the environment. And those natural instincts start to kick in. And and so... Yeah, and it's interesting too with pen raised birds, um, specifically at the at the preserve we were at today. They have what are called high pens, um, mm-hmm. so the birds can fly. They they fly really well, um, and sometimes you know depending on the weather and depending on the conditions, and it changes throughout the day. But sometimes they sit really tight to the point where, unless you or the dog step on them or come up on them, they're not moving. And they're very, very good at hiding. You know, a hen very. pheasant in a cornfield or in oh, yeah. a sorghum field, you, you can you, be on top of it. You can miss it. Yep. it they, they blend right in. Right. Um, and so there's days where you got to slow way down, even with pen-raised birds, or you'll walk right past all of them. Right. Um, and then there's other days where, you know, nothing you can do is is the right thing. They're, they're up moving. They're running. They're you know running between you and yep. out, and the dogs don't see them, and... Right. You never get a chance at them. Now, I know there are people out there probably listening and thinking, okay, you, you guys are talking about hunting on a preserve. Of course, you're going to see birds. Of course, you're going to see birds. So you're going to act, you're going to, you're going to harvest what you see. No, 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 not exactly. <laughs> not exactly. So no. describe the challenge. What, what, so you have a person saying, hey, of course, you're on a preserve. You're going to see birds. You're going to shoot them. How would you describe to some, how would you describe that? What's the challenge on a preserve? To me, Looking at when we were out at Tim's, uh, once we flushed a bird, it's all the same. I mean, how many birds did we miss today that ended up over in the neighbors? And now they're they're wild birds. Yep. It, it's just that they were raised in a pen. And, and you know, in our area, Michigan, for example, I have already mentioned this. We don't have pheasants in our area anymore, so there are a lot more preserves that are popping up to give people opportunities to be able to harvest chuckers, to be able to harvest pheasants, to be able to harvest quails, and that sort of thing. But in the end, you're you're hunting a wild animal. They get acclimated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still just as challenging. You miss them. Now they're a wild bird. You know what I mean? Yep. Not that they weren't before, but, you know. I think it really depends on the actual preserve itself, too. Um, I, I agree with you. Based right on the way yes. that they operate, based yep. on, you know, their business, their business model, their business strategy. Um, there are you know, not to put any bad names on anybody because it's, it's a business and these guys are trying to make their money. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, there are preserves that write down and keep track of the number of birds that are shot. And, mm-hmm. you know, if the next group comes and the first group didn't shoot all of their birds, they're counting some of those leftover birds as part of what they're putting out. And so you're, mm-hmm. you know, hunting scratch birds. And then there's other places where, they don't monitor that as much and they don't allow scratch hunting. And so they are building up this, I don't want to call it a wild population, but I mean, those birds are acclimated, right? Like we yep. saw today. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, the place we're at, Keith, the owner does a really good job 
like a really good job of agreed yes. yeah maintaining a high number of birds around the property that aren't like aren't newly planted yeah. right yeah yeah um so you go out there and you know some places use what they call like a catch pen or like a re-catch pen yep. where it's more or less a funnel going back into the into the pen so that yeah. the birds that were released that end up back at the holding pen can go back in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Keith doesn't have that. It's closed off. Mm-hmm. And so once those birds are out, those birds are out and, you know, they're out for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, the other thing, too, is, you know, with weather, unfortunate things happen. Um, this year I know he had a pen blow over in the middle of one of our snowstorms that we had where we got 11 inches of snow. Right. And, you know, in one day he had 250 birds get out. It's a lot of birds. It's a yep. lot of birds. Yeah. Yep. And, you know. And from a business standpoint, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It yeah. is. It is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the nice thing about, you know, working and that's it, right? Go check out your farm. But the nice thing about working with a good game preserve is knowing that even though he had 250 birds get out, if you call him and say, I want to have six birds in my field, he's still putting six birds in your field. Right. Right. You're going to see a lot more than that because there's now 250 birds on this 400 acre Mm -hmm. piece that are walking around, flying around. Um, And so, yeah, just do some research. Talk to, talk to your people that you're going to see. There's a ton of really awesome like really good preserves yep. around the country. There, there are a lot of people that, you know, are really above board, do a really great job. Um, there are some people that it's still doing a great job. It's a little bit more of a business. Yeah, um, for sure. So, you know, feel it out. Don't yep. be afraid to go to multiple preserves if you have that opportunity near you. And right. I've, I've, I think I've been to a handful of them, you know, just in the state here. I mean, I know with you to, one down south, right? Yep. And then I put out one western Minnesota, and then the one way western Minnesota, the, they only hunt roosters because of the uh, county ordinance. They won't let you let, let them shoot uh, hen pheasants. So. Yep. Yep. And some of that has to do with the license too, because if they don't have that, right. yep. If they don't have the hunting preserve license, then you're limited to your natural bird limit, which yep. in Minnesota is either two or three a day. Yep. And so then you're hunting roosters, but. You know, they're planted, but you're still only allowed your, your limit. Yeah. So, and the reason why I bring that up is when I think when people hear the word preserve, they think a game ranch. This is a game ranch, an enclosed game ranch. Nope, it's not. You there's know, no they, they automatically, there's that stereotype out there that when you hear preserve, you're thinking that you have these high fences and the animals are stuck within that, those those perimeters within that confine. You know, that's not how this works. And any preserve, any bird preserve I've been to, there's no high fences. As, as soon as they put them in the field, they're as wild as any other bird, especially once they get acclimated. Like you like you pointed out, when they first put them out there, it takes them a little bit to get acclimated. But once they get acclimated, it's just like going, like you said, to Colorado, going to, uh, you know, Iowa, going to North North Dakota and, and hunting these birds in the wild. Same exact thing. It's just as challenging. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And, you know. And I don't know, I hope I don't make some enemies with this one, but, you know, South Dakota is really known for its pheasant hunting, right? Yep. People pay a lot of money to go out there and go pheasant hunting. Yep. And you're going to say it, aren't you? I'm going to, I'm unfortunately <laughs> going to reveal the secret, but you know, a lot of times, a lot of times, and I'm not mentioning any names nope. or any places or any, but there are people who offer wild bird hunts and you go out there and those are pen raised birds. 
Mm. And they were, you know, put out as early as that morning or potentially the night before. Mm -hmm. Um, They go out and they plant the field that you're going to hunt the next day. It's the reason that people see so many birds in South Dakota. It's also the reason that South Dakota has such a wild or a big wild bird population is because of all of the pen raised birds. Um, You know, whether people are just pen raising them to release them to help the population, right. Or whether they're put out as part of a hunting operation. Um, So it's, it's definitely good for conservation. It's good for the wild bird population. Same thing here with the, with the preserve that we were at today, right. Mm -hmm. The bird population around where we were hunting is really high for that area oh, 100%. for central Minnesota, for that specific area that we were hunting. The wild bird population is really high because these birds get loose. They, when you're hunting them, they fly to the neighboring properties. They, they escape for better, lack of a better term yeah. and, yeah. and help build the wild population. And it's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, my uncle, raised pheasants you know he didn't hunt them mm-hmm. he banded all of them so that way you know when people shot him they the local people knew that he was raising them and they'd come talk to him and say hey i shot one of your birds today but you know driving down the gravel road if one ran out and was out picking grit on the side of the road you could tell just from looking at it if it was one that he had raised and you know people do that just to help the wild population because yeah. at that time there wasn't a lot of pheasants Nope. Especially now where we hunt. Um, but now this year I went out and, you know, in that CRP grass that we planted, we had, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was 23 or 24. And that's bird. pretty good for that area of Minnesota. And, and we only hunted the CRP grass. We didn't even hunt any of the pasture no. land. There, so there could have been more. There was a ton more. We only saw one rooster and the rest were all hens. And that's awesome. Yeah, because that one rooster can make all those hens happy. Well, and and I know the roosters are around because opening morning of deer season, I was sitting in my deer blind, and look out, and there's a tree hundred yards away from me, and I watched one rooster fly land in the tree, and then another, and then another, uh-huh. and right. I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, this, this can't be real, and I'm like pulling out my binoculars and staring <laughs> at it. <laughs> And I'm texting my cousin, and he can see him from his stand, too, and we're just sitting there watching him. And the next thing you know, there's 17 roosters in one tree. Really? I've got a picture on my phone. Um, yeah, we'll make sure we post it on the follow-up session page. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, 17 roosters in one tree. I've never seen it before. I've oh, seen like, I've seen roosters in a tree. Right. But, but not, one at a time. Right. Not 17 in Not one 17 tree. in one tree. And so I don't know if there was a coyote or if there was something running them around, yeah. flushing them up into yeah. this tree or what, but that morning they were all there. And I swear they know what time it is. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Because 8.59. They're back in. The, yeah. They were gone. <laughs> so 9 o'clock is when you can shoot pheasants in Minnesota. And at 8.59, I swear, they were all out of the tree, gone. They all have watches on, I know. Yeah. Another feet. I'm going to go hide in the gross, thick stuff that these guys aren't going to hunt. <laughs> I was just amazed by all the, the pheasants that we saw driving out to the, the preserve today. We saw a lot of pheasants just yeah, running like, around. Yeah, coming from my house, um, going up kind of the back way to 94 there. Um, so, half dozen pheasants on the side of the road. So, and we don't, like I said, we don't see that anymore. Uh, Andy was asking me, when do you guys get pheasants in Michigan? I said, you know, 
Heather and I started dating about 20 years ago. And when we first started dating, her grandma lived on the property that we live on now. And so her grandma invited me to come hunt there. And so back then, when I would walk out to my blind, I would kick pheasants out all over the place. I mean, there were times that pheasants would scoot out in the cornfield and then try to stock up on them and try to get a shot with my arrow. But um, since that time, we haven't seen. In fact, the last pheasant I saw, we, we built our house. Heather and I, Grandma passed away, and Heather and I um, took over the property, and we built a house in, in 2007. We moved in. Moved in, in um, and then that, it was that uh, small game season. It was that bird season. I walk out, so it wasn't even, we weren't even in the house a year. I walk on the porch, there's a pheasant in our front yard, and so I go running in, Heather, there's a pheasant. Should I shoot it? She's like, if you want. So... I went and I shot that one, and that was the first pheasant I had ever shot. And um, that was also the last pheasant I've seen in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> you shot yeah. the last pheasant in Michigan? <laughs> well, then we, we, we bought some of them. Right. We tried to raise some because we wanted to reintroduce them back into the environment, but that didn't work out either because one thing that we realized that raising pheasants is just simply how hard it is to keep them alive. They are just really aggressive animals, and they just – they don't like each other. I mean, they really don't like each other <laughs> at certain certain times of the year, and it's yep. yeah. Well, that's funny. Yep. So, yep. My old man Earth could have put a put a bunch of pheasants in his garage too, raised them up there, and it pooped all over his car, and then that was the end of that. <laughs> 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 if you know him, you it would yes, you understand that. <laughs> I like that he just let him free range in the garage. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the car still in there. <laughs> it's like quails in the house. It's like quails in the house. <laughs> but people that still live in there. <laughs> people across the country are going, these Midwestern guys are kind of goofy. <laughs> <laughs> Donkeys, quails, chillos, hedgehogs, everybody in the house. It's like a, it's like a circus in our house. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what keeps life entertaining, though. Every day's every day's a new new story. <laughs> every day, yep, yep. Well, you guys have any last thoughts for today? It was a great day. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was fun to hang out with everybody. Hang you guys out, do a little pheasant hunt. So yeah, mm-hmm. we don't get to do this very often, especially. I haven't I, actually, I haven't seen you for a long quite a while. So yep, yeah. And we live close close enough to each other. We probably should, but yeah. <laughs> Life happens. Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, busy working. He's working. So yeah. But I'm glad we were able to pull this off. Like I said, originally we had planned. Well, I told you when we went on the the, the bow fishing trip back in July. Was it July? Hey, I'm coming up to visit you guys this year. I go Christmas break. What are you guys doing Christmas break? So we we ended up getting uh, getting it all set up, and Mother Nature didn't allow us to do that. So. Mother Nature and the airline industry. Well, yeah. Cancel <laughs> canceled my flight when I got a got a flight later in the yeah. week. But we were able to work it out this time, and uh, it was a blast. It was so much fun. I'm glad I was able to come out and, and so see you guys here. I know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow we'll do a little ice fishing, so take them on the ice. Are you? Yeah. Gosh, that's another thing. Michigan, we don't even have ice this year. We don't have ice. We had... Um, we had one weekend where we had enough ice where you could get out there, but by the end of that weekend, it was open water again. So you still had some shanties out there and in some of the parts that were still frozen, but you had shanties and people ice fishing in open water. So I got a neighbor who's an avid ice fisherman was telling me that uh, 
he went out that weekend. He only hunted Friday, Saturday, but by Sunday, again, he had the open water. And again, we got open water again now. And so he's like, yeah, I'm probably done ice fishing this year. We're just going to, we'll pull the boat out here in a few weeks and just start using our boats. I took him past Waconia. Yeah. There you go. Look at that. You know, the village, you know, the big villages on Waconia there. Yeah. So, and, but a lot of the houses were gone. You can see the piles. Yeah. They have to be off by the end of the month. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the the county sheriff is actually urging people to get their house off of the local lakes here because of the next snow of snow. the ice conditions. So even though typically at this time of the year it would be totally safe to drive on. 100% and, we did 20 inches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This year because of all of the snow, it insulated and the ice didn't freeze well. And, you know, there's stories of snowmobiles going through the ice already, which is it shouldn't happen yet. Shouldn't happen yet. It's scary to hear about. And so they're urging people to get their houses off. And you can see people are, you know, heeding that advice. There's not a ton of houses left out there. Nope. But all the trucks that were on the ice today that we saw, <laughs> like full size F 150s. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Right out in the middle of the lake on the ice. Dual axle ice houses. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It happens. It does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a buddy that has a dual axle ice house and a dually. And just, you know, full-size dually on that thing. And just the, the amount of weight that thing goes across the ice. I'm like, you've got to have 20 inches just to feel safe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Ice road truckers. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, good luck ice fishing. Thank you. Yeah, we'll yeah, have to have fun. another podcast and have um, you tell us how fishing. that went. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. So I've, I've obviously ice fished before, but not for, I mean, in Michigan, it's a lot of panfish. Stuff. Yeah, that, yeah. Or, or pike yeah. you know that's basically what we do too yeah. especially down this side the south i mean if you go more north you can you know get more walleyes and stuff like that oh gotcha yeah. and if you go really up north you can get the lakers Ooh. my son went up to grand rapids area yeah he got lakers last weekend mason <laughs> you're living the life I, seriously <laughs> i gave him a bad addiction <laughs> 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 yeah that's okay. It's the best one. So, well, should probably wrap it up for today. Sounds good. Yep. All right. Uh, as always, our podcast is brought to you by Ridge Rock Hunt Club. Um, check us out on Carbon TV, Waypoint TV, Go Wild. Um, obviously, Facebook, Instagram, and we're now on TikTok. Yeah, I know. I decided. I saw that. I was flipping through. I'm like gotta be kidding me yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well it was one part of sam's instruction hey make sure you get some vertical footage today so we can do some reels and tic tacs and stuff with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay yep so yep thanks again to you know like i'd mentioned ridge rock and go wild and carbon tv and YouTube waypoint team. tv and yeah if you haven't already go follow us and subscribe on those channels and other than that we will see you guys next week absolutely stay obsessed stay obsessed (laughs) hopefully hopefully we do well in missouri so yep